0: It was May 22nd, 2016, and it was my last day of work. I've shared uh, several times before here that prior to coming to Randall Church, I was planning a church in Rochester just an hour down the road. And by 2016, we'd been doing it for about five years, and we were a healthy church, but we really didn't have the critical mass needed to be self-sustaining. And our core team knew that we had to make one last push— in order to try and make a go of this thing. And so that uh, winter and, and spring, we had outreach events, and we highlighted our Easter service. But by then, we knew that it was time to be done. We knew it was time to stop. So we set a date. May twenty-second, two 2016 would be our last time on a Sunday gathering for a celebration of what God had done, but time to move on. However, for me, nothing had been lined up after that Sunday. I don't know if it was just because I was so focused on, you know, walking our congregation through uh, in a healthy way and making sure we celebrated well and we wrapped up well that as the date got closer, I realized, oh, wait a minute. There's something, there's nothing for me to do past that date. The next Sunday was coming and I'd be a pastor without a church. Now there is a running joke that I've heard before, particularly from my uncle who likes to jab my father and I, who are both pastors, that pastors work one day a week. He'll say it must be nice to be able to get up there once a week. I don't know what you do with the other six days, and we hearty-hearty and roll our eyes at him as he smiles, one of his smiles. But in a sense, there is something about the Sunday that's uh, symbolic for us. It's, it's sort of a culmination in a sense of the work you've done all week kind of coming to a head here on a Sunday morning. And the next Sunday, I had no work to do. The next Sunday, it was symbolic. For the first time in my adult life, now with a family as well, I had no work to do. I was a man with no work. In the last few years, there's been a lot of uncertainty in our world and in our congregation. A lot of turnover. And for some of you, you may have had your May 22nd, 2016 moment too. It's a time where you had this tangible experience of having to trust for God's provision, even though you didn't know when it would come next. You've had your May 22nd, 2016 moment. Today, we are talking about a parable about work. A work that feels like a burden, but what we will find is actually a blessing. It's a work that feels like a burden, but is actually a blessing. Now, when we look at the parable, what we find first is that it begins with four Every time a a, a chapter or a verse starts with four, you need to know that this doesn't start a new thought or idea. It is explaining and further illustrating that which has come before. So we can't read this parable unless we read it in light of the conversation that was going on in Matthew 19 right before it. This illustration, this parable, is further explaining the original question that Jesus is asking, or Jesus was asked, in Matthew 19. And this question came from a rich man. This rich man comes to Jesus, and he asks this, what good thing must I do to get eternal life. This parable is further explaining the answer to that question. That's the break. That's where the new thought starts. A man comes up, a rich man comes up to Jesus and says, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And then they have a conversation. Then Jesus continues the conversation with his disciples, and then this parable comes out of that discussion. So in order for us to understand this parable and understand what it's trying to do, we need to understand the original question. What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Now the term eternal life was not simply a generic catch-all phrase, but one that had specific biblical background. When the Bible talks about life and death, it doesn't simply regulate it to a fixed state or destination somewhere else. That's certainly in mind and in view when we use this term, when we use terms like life or death. But it's not the full picture of what it meant. It's not simply only what happens someday. The people of the Bible use the words life and death in a more nuanced way as two different ways of living now that culminates later. So when the Bible uses terms like eternal life or death, it isn't simply meaning that which will happen temporally sometime else, but it means something that's starting now that will get better and culminate sometime else. And this is rooted all the way back in the law, in Deuteronomy 30, when Moses has this moment with the people where he gives them a decision to make. In Deuteronomy 30, he commands God's first people to make a choice. Will they follow God's way or will they follow their own way? This is what he says. He says this, See, I set before you today life and prosperity or death and and destruction. I have, you have a choice to make. I have set before you, Moses says to these very first people, their ancestors, today life or death. Life and prosperity or death and destruction. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. That I have, set, I have done this. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his vice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. What Moses is asking them to do is not to choose whether they're going to die in that moment. They're not making a choice between being killed at that moment. He's confronting them with a choice of the way they're going to live from now on. Are you going to live a life of life? Or are you going to live a life of death? To choose life is to be in connection with the living God in which they experience more and more peace and wholeness. And to choose death is to disconnect yourself from God, to contain more and more despair and brokenness. It's more nuanced than that. Life is how you live starting now as you move on into your eternity. One author puts it this way. He says, eternal life is not simply the quantity of life, how long, but also the quality of life, how good. Accordingly, some translators have rendered eternal life as unending real life. Jesus, what must I do to start living real, authentic, beautiful, whole, peaceful, captivating life now? How do I get that? Because I've done a lot of rules. It doesn't seem to quite make it. What, what do I lack? And Jesus will identify that. The thing that's holding him back. What the man is not asking is, how do I get to heaven? That's not the fullness of the question. He's not asking, what, pray, what, what do I need to do to get my my ticket to heaven? What do I need for my fire insurance when I die. He's saying, how do I live life? How do I get this eternal life that our our ancestors heard of, that that Moses, that I've read about, he offered them? How how do I get that? If he were asking, how do I get to heaven? Then Jesus' answer is actually pretty peculiar. Pastor Milo talking about this. It would sound like words righteousness. Well, here's how you get into heaven. Follow the law. We good Baptists know. That ain't right. <laughs> right? You no, know, no, how do you how do you live, how do you get eternal life? Ooh, you live God's way. You want, you want to taste shalom, wholeness, goodness, joy, peace, abundance, fulfill, fulfilling life. You want you want that? Mm, be connected. Just like what Moses said. Be connected to God. Throw away everything that's going to hold you back and be an idol, a snare in your life to experiencing true joy and peace and life. Jesus actually proclaims this elsewhere. He actually states his whole mission in this way in John 10. 10. He says this, I have come. Here's the reason I've come. I have come that you may have life and life to the full. I want you to f- experience the fullness of life connected to the one who created you. Because when you get that, man, life will be full. So when people back then talked about eternal life, they did not only talk about the future, they were talking about the beautiful, life-giving, holistic life that starts right now. And when people talked about death, they did not talk about an experience at the end of life only, but the soul-draining death we see Every day, we see death in the world every day, don't we? There's systematic death. Corporations and nations and institutions that enslave people, exploit the earth, and disregard the welfare of the weak and disempowered. We see that kind of death all the time. And yet there's also individual death. Idols. Patterns, habits, addictions that cause us suffering and prevent us from fully flourishing. And Moses says, choose life. See, the gospel isn't just something that kicks in when you die. The gospel speaks to every element of your life. The fruit of the Spirit flowing through you right here and right now. And this understanding has fundamentally changed the way I read this parable. It has fundamentally altered as I've read it and uh, reflected on it over the years, fundamentally changed how I read this parable. Because a work feels like a burden, but it's actually a blessing. A work that feels like a burden, but it's actually a blessing. Let's dig in. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out, Early in the morning to hire workers in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon and about three, and he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he still went out again and found others standing. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, the setting is very accurate. This this parable is is very accurate to the setting that was happening in those days. Day laborers were a common sight in a difficult economic conditions that were going on in that day. They didn't have, these day laborers didn't have long-term trades Rather, they relied on day-to-day opportunities. They were at the bottom of the economic structure, receiving minimal wages for sporadic work. And as the primary wage earners, they had to support their families by these odd jobs that they could acquire. And the pay for a day's work in that was about a denarius. It was what you needed to survive. It was what you needed in order to make it. That's a very accurate accurate pay for the day. Here is what you get, and if you got a denarius for the day, that means you and your family would make it for that day. It was enough to provide for that day. In the difficult economy of the time, the laborers who had been fortunate enough to receive work early in the morning would know from the beginning that they would have been able to provide for their family that day. And this would have been a huge blessing. This would have been a huge blessing for them. They would go about their day knowing that at the end of the day, they would receive pay. You see, I believe we need a better theology of work, work is a blessing. It was given us, actually, in fact, by God from the beginning. Take a look at Genesis. In Genesis 2, we find that the Lord gives us work to do. The Lord God took the man and then later his helper, the wife, and he put him in the garden to work it and to care for it. This is in Genesis 2, not after Genesis 3, when sin hits. Which means this work that God gave them was a blessing. It's what we were wired for. We were wired to work. It is an enjoyment. It is a blessing. It is a privilege to work. God gave us purpose. This is all within the creation narrative. This is all within all the blessing. It is only after in Genesis 3 here that the work becomes a burden. Because then God, when He's doling out punishments, when He's doling out curses, He says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toll, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. We're used to that from work. Many of us, we resonate with Genesis 3, and we forget that work was actually given to us in Genesis 2, before it all went down. It's a blessing to have purpose and work. The work itself, the act of producing and functioning and working is written into our bones and is a gift from God. Imagine yourself, if you would, and if I invite you to my friend. even close your eyes, just, just kind of use your imaginations here for a second. Imagine that you're one of those day workers standing in the marketplace. You're sitting out there needing work, making yourself available all day long. You have a financial responsibility for your family, and with every hour that goes by, the reality sets in that you'll be coming home with nothing that day. What words would come to mind? Anxiety? Restlessness? emptiness. So the question I bring before you, friends, is which worker would you rather be? Which worker would you rather be? If you could pick, not knowing the outcome, saying if I placed you in that story and you're making a decision now, if I place you in a story, which worker would you be? Which worker would you choose? When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on from the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious? Because I am generous. See, what we often do is we, we look at this parable as a picture of grace for the latecomer. We, it's, a, it's, it's a picture of grace for the latecomer. They only had to work the hour and yet received the same pay as the one who worked the burden of the day in the heat of the day. But we are given no reason why the workers at the beginning were chosen first. When this parable says that the other laborers were standing around, it literally reads they were there with no work to do. The term standing around or in some translations, it's idle. It seems to imply that they were lazy, that they were just kind of there and they didn't really want to do Anything, or, or, or maybe uh, the earlier workers, maybe they were picked first because they got up extra early or maybe because they distinguished themselves in some way. But that's not what's happening here. The day laborers, without work, at the end of the day, they confirmed, we are here not because we don't want to work. We are here because no one has hired us. Every time the landowner finds someone, and says, you go work, they say yes. They don't say no. They don't go, well, I don't know. Like, you know, I'm going to meet someone for lunch soon. No, every time the landowner finds someone in the marketplace, he says, you go do it, and they go. We are given no indication that any of these workers at any time did anything to distinguish themselves from someone else. Other than the fact that the landowner finds them, which is also peculiar, why would the landowner be walking around in the marketplace looking for workers? That sure seems like something the foreman would do. And in fact, we see it. Like the 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 landowner doesn't even we want to be the one to dole out the money at the end. He he has his foreman. Hey foreman, because this is your job. I'm the landowner. Foreman, you go, you bring the guys in, you pay. But it's the landowner who walks through the marketplace doing the hiring. That doesn't make sense. That's not really accurate to how it would go. That's a foreman's job. But it's the landowner who walks up to each one of those workers, who finds them right where they're at and invites him to his his vineyard. We are given no indication that any of them did anything else other than be chosen. Why are you standing around? Because no one's hired us. It's five o'clock. There's an hour to go. And no one's hired us. See, we assume it's grace for the latecomer. And what we fail to realize is that it's grace for all. Those early workers had no distinguishing characteristics other than they were found at that moment. And then others were found at that moment. And others were found at that moment. But each one of them were chosen because it's grace for all not just grace for some. It's grace for everyone that the landowner goes personally, walks up to, meets right where they're at, and says, I choose you. Go work in my vineyard, and you will receive what you deserve. And you will receive what you deserve. There's no merit. It's all grace. It all are chosen but the laborers who worked the full day, they believed they'd earned something more. Because their only focus was on the end game. The payment at the end. That was the only benefit they could see, and therefore they deemed it unfair that everyone was paid equally. Now, payment is important. Had the landowner refused to pay the wages, there would have been a great injustice. There is a prize at the end. But what the early workers failed to recognize is that they were in fact given more. They were in fact given more. They were given eternal life. They were given a day of hope and comfort and peace and assurance, all the fruits of their labor, knowing that the payment was coming at the end. And at the end of the day, they would walk home with their head held high, with a denarius in their hand. They were given eternal life for the day. They were given more, even though at the end, they were all given the same. They failed to realize the true gift of being chosen early. Even as everyone gets paid, the same at the end because it's all grace for everyone. And this doesn't diminish the difficulty of the work. Let us stress that here and now. They bore, these early workers, they bore the burden of the work and the heat of the day. That is real heat and that is real burden. It doesn't diminish the fact that even as they had eternal life, even as they had the peace and assurance of a day's work, That it wasn't hard in the middle of it. That that heat wasn't really hot. And that work wasn't really hard. It was. It was hard and exhausting. And in this life, there will be trouble. It's a work that feels like a burden. But it's actually a blessing. It's hard hot. They slept well that night. But they won a day with eternal life. Let's call the band back up as we close this out. It was May 22nd, 2016. And it was my last day of work. And like I said, right as the date drew near, I realized what am I going to do the next Sunday? I was a man in the marketplace. Waiting. And then as that date drew near, I got a call inviting me to lead worship and meet some folks at this place called Randall Church. Well, what day do you want me to come? Well, we have an opening on May twenty-nine. 2016. The very next week. And I've always seen that as a little gift. A little grace of God saying, whispering, I'm not done with you. I won't let you stand around for even one Sunday. We got more work to do. Let's go. And so here I was. Maybe you remember that day. Me, uh, pretending to play a guitar. (laughs) Because for each of us, for each of us, the master comes. He comes personally to meet you right where you're at and invite you to his vineyard. You did nothing to earn it. You did nothing to distinguish yourself. You were chosen. And while that payment is coming in the end, the reward for each of us in that room that has said yes to the master's invitation, that have said yes to the work of the vineyard, is eternal life. That begins now. Hope. Hope comfort and peace and assurance all the fruit of the spirit as the psalmist says blessed are all who fear the lord who walk in obedience to him you walk you will eat the fruit of your labor blessing and prosperity will be yours and this doesn't diminish the difficulty of the work the bible doesn't sugarcoat the fact that in life there will be troubles we will bear as christians we will bear as laborers in the master's vineyard we will bear the burden of the work and the heat of the day it is a work that feels like a burden but it's actually a blessing because the master has chosen you I think about our kids and our young adults the master has chosen each of you early you are 6am workers You've got a long, long work day ahead of you. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. You're going to feel the burden of the day and the heat on you. But you know what eternal life feels like kids in the room and kids downstairs that have made that profession of faith. They've said yes to the master. The master met them at that 6 a.m. shift and said, are you ready? It's going to be a long day, but I will be with you and you will experience life and life to the full. Some of you, the master is called later in life, You're that 5 a.m. worker. Or maybe you're that 3 p.m. worker. Maybe you're the noontime worker. Whenever the master came in your life and chose you, you remember, don't you? You remember that anxiousness you felt. You remember the restlessness of your life. You remember the emptiness you felt. You know what it's like standing in the marketplace. And now you've experienced life. Even in the midst of the burden, even in the midst of the heat, there's no place I'd rather be. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, or death or destruction. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. So keep running the race, friends. Keep bearing the heat of the day and keep at the work that feels like a burden, but it's actually a blessing. Let's pray. You've chosen us at different hours. You've chosen us at different times. You've asked each of us to bear what we need to bear in the time, but it's all grace. Thank you for giving us exactly what we need. Knowing that the culmination, the end of the day, grows closer and closer. We love you, Jesus. In the name of prayer, amen.